mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to the very final episode of Sentimental in the City, a mini-series where we talk about each season of Sex and the City for the great American novel it truly is, and each Sex and the City movie for the cinematic effort it attempted to be. My name is Carolyn Donahue, and her best gay friend is marrying my best gay friend! Joining me is my live-in nanny with no bra, Dolly Alderton. Oh, hello! Sure isn't it a beautiful day to be wearing absolutely no bra? I have no function in the narrative. Can we, in the in post, can we play some whimsical Celtic leprechaun music? Every time you talk. Oh my god. It is amazing how many separate and unrelated groups of people this film manages to offend. I know. The Irish, the gays, the Muslims, like everybody. (laughs) How do you feel as an Irish person watching that role? Just baffled. Um, I imagine I feel like the exact same as everybody, every other group that's, um, you know, marginalised and peered at and poked over by these four characters that we all love so much in such an alien way, which is just baffled as to why they're so baffled by us. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? It's like... You know, you've met Tommy the Irish Doorman. You've met his brother who works in Il Cantonori's. <laughs> and yet, why are you so befuddled by this woman? And why is she played by Alice Eve? Why did they choose to make her Irish, I wonder? I think they were probably trying to dig into that that male porny fantasy of of nannies, of, you know, the maternal and wholesome. and Yes, the Jude Law, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing about Sex and the City, the movie 2. A movie so bad, they didn't even give it a subtitle. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Usually it's like Hunger Games 2, Catching Fire or yeah. whatever. Charlie Angels 2, Full Throttle. This is simply Sex and the City 2. This time we're racist. <laughs> this time we're racist. Yeah. Everyone hates this movie and they're right to hate this movie. The cast hates it, the crew hates it. Everybody who's been involved with this film is very frank about the fact that they regret doing it. Um However, underneath the shite, there's so much good stuff. It's a fabulous film. And like No, it's not <laughs> it's not a fabulous <laughs> film. Don't mean that. What I will say is Okay, first of all, all the bit that's in Abu Dhabi, we're not including in when I say this. But mm-hmm. Caroline and I want to float the theory that the first hour and the last section when they touch down might be a better film, might be a better cinematic yeah. effort than the first film. That was the strangest epiphany of this viewing experience, wasn't it? Yeah. Of like us going into the first movie being like, we love the first movie. The perfect example of how you transcribe 
the sort of um, the TV to the film and then finding it really laggy and really weird. Mm. But then tuning in for that second movie, which I realised then I've seen more times than I've seen the first movie because I've watched it so many times, a bit pissed, like pre-drinking with girls or like on holidays. And just like, it's really become like one of those like, showgirls type experience where it's so bad it's good everyone likes laughing at it it's easy to laugh at you don't have to pay attention to laugh at it and it's also this like lovely treat for the eyes and you can dip in and out because it's 400 hours long so you can go you can shave your legs when you're getting ready for a night out you can go pour a cocktail go have a little chat with your mum come back in you've still got three hours left (laughs) so long it's so long and stupid and so easy to have fun with and like you're right like that first sort of hour it's like the reverse of the other movie which takes forever to get going and then you do kind of get to some quite meaty stakes by the middle ish with this it's like they really set the tone if really well and it brings me back to something you said last week which was um it's the christmas party you know It's not a reflection of the office job. What it is, is our overdressed workmates at a Regis hotel, you know? And that's how it feels like when we're at the uh, Anthony and Stanford's wedding at the start. Once you get over the fact that this wedding should not be happening between these characters who don't love each other, it's such crack. Like, it's a great Christmas party. Yeah. And also, I think that they really double down on the campiness of Sex and the City in this film in a way that I really enjoy, like the 80s flashbacks, the fashion. Oh my God. Even for Patricia Field is so extra in this film. It's so theatrical. And the, you know, the one-liners and the puns and all that kind of like frosting, I I actually enjoy because as you said, like if you view it as this is a Christmas party <laughs> for Sex and the yeah. City fans. I like that they throw that they throw in all that campiness in such a kind of over-the-top way. They really do. And so, like, because we have said many times in this podcast before, we don't like whingers. Um, <laughs> we are not going to... Because there's so much of it around. There's, like, there's... There's a lot out there, a lot of really good analysis of how this movie fell apart. Yeah. And like how like how racist it is, how with the real estate porn, the wealth porn, the like even more fabulous displays of money that are carrying on from the last movie, the tone deafness of so many of the scenes have been talked about lots of other places before. What we've decided to do for this episode, our final, final episode of Sentimental in the City... Dolly and I are each going to talk about five things we love about this movie and then we're just going to move on and go to the Q&A, which we've received over 300 questions for. <laughs> so I have no idea how we're going to navigate it. But I want you to go first. Okay. What are your favourite bits? Or your top five? So, so obviously, as you've already touched on, the fact that the two principal gay characters who hate each other and have always hated each other decide to get married in this film is not only lazy plotting but also is just deeply homophobic and incredibly dismissive of gay characterization and the gay experience and those characters that they've like made quite intricate over a long period of time they do them such a disservice by just chucking them together to sort of serve 
um, the plot. And all that being said, I do love opening with a wedding. A wedding is always just a really fun place to find an ensemble. And I love the whole thing. I love the art direction of it. I love the swans. I love how all of them are dressed up. I love that that's where we see our characters for the first time and they all look so uh, elegant and formal. I love the male voice choir. And I'm sorry to say, I do love Liza Minnelli. I love Liza Minnelli. I love it. I love that Ethel Merman voice that she does. I'll single I'll single. I love it. I love her scrawny little legs out with the sequin dress. I love the little fossy dance. And I've just realised that's obviously a nice little callback to her doing the original fossy dancing cabaret. It's so like here's the thing. When I first saw that, I completely rolled my eyes because single ladies was everywhere. It was so annoying and it was just permaculture, right? Yeah. And at at the point of this movie coming out, it was so everywhere that it was like a bad joke. Yeah. But the thing is, it's now 2021. I haven't heard single ladies in a long time, certainly not in the last year and a half. And so just like switching it on and having Liza Minnelli, like 70 odd dancing to single ladies, I was just like, delighted i was like oh love this (laughs) delighted and then in the marriage ceremony where um liza is marrying them and miranda has that great line and they're like how do they get liza and she's like when there's this much gay energy in a room liza manifests (laughs) and liza marries the two of them and she passes the mic to stanford and stanford just goes i think it's willie garson's best line delivery thank you liza minnelli (laughs) And it's so fun. And we have all this stuff right before that where it's like, oh, you know, and Anthony's allowed to cheat and all this. And we're we're led into this marriage feeling very cynical. Mm. But then there's this great performance from the actor who plays Anthony Maritino. Where he he like really, it feels like like the the crying people do when they get married. Where he just kind of comes upon them and he's like... You, I thank you for loving me. You're the first man to love me for the person I actually am. And he takes so long to get those words out. Yeah. And then we like realize that like because he's like the most camp character in the show and because he always has a line and he always has a thing to say, for him to see him like undone like this is actually amid all this campiness really like it really got me yeah and when Carrie cries looking on from the sidelines it that always gets me and do you know what else always gets me and it this shouldn't feel radical but for some reason it does maybe it's because of Willie Garson's age and the generation he belongs to and the fact that that character Stanford has talked about how he's uh you know had to be in the closet for most of his life I love that you see this little elderly Jewish couple walking him down the aisle so proud and he was so proud to introduce him and his husband on the dance floor and it's just actually quite rare that you see that in wedding scenes that kind of like the traditions of of love and romance I think you don't often see on screen in the context of a gay story and and for lots of people, I imagine that's just because that doesn't feel like it's representative of their reality or their relationship mm. with their parents, particularly people of that generation. But I think it's 
really lovely to normalize that. I agree. And there's also this bit when him and Carrie are having that conversation um, pre-ceremony where he says, I've been saving for this day since I was 19. I just always thought it would be a nice chubby Jewish girl. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, you know, we've gone through this whole thing with Stanford and his relationship woes and like his closeting and all this. And it's like, it does feel really satisfying to have this opening thing that's so hinged on Stanford who's been such a background character and also knows he's a background character and sort of planned this wedding that makes him the main character yeah sort of lovely and I just love I just love the fire pittiness of this gang now who've known each other for so long and there's a real ease at their table and they feel like they get on Mm. and like Miranda and Steve are getting on really well they're clearly doing good even though she's got works troubles you know and like Charlotte saying nosh and Harry being really pleased that she has these little like Yiddish isms you know and it's just and like Big getting cruised as well is hilarious (laughs) You're right, they do do the fire pit very well and it's all done very subtly that you just see that this is now a grown-up gang of close friends and spouses and partners. Even in the moment where Charlotte is saying, should I go up and see Rose because she, the Rose of the baby's yeah. crying? And Miranda says, oh, terrible twos. And Charlotte, in this kind of harried Stepford way, says, no, no, they're not terrible. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And then Harry just looks around the whole table, giving like a wide-eyed, petrified smile, being like, your friend, my wife, is being pretty crazy again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, it's so, it it feels really, I mean, obviously this this whole gathering could not be more 1%, but it feels so real and lovely. And I just, I love the whole wedding. I think also we hit peak fire pit the next morning when we just do a cutaway to Harry, Steve and Big all playing golf. (laughs) What are they talking about on that course? I love that. (laughs) There's a lot of chat in golf. What are they talking about? Do you know what I've really decided? I've been thinking about this a lot over the last week. Um, and this is a spoiler for our Q&A because people do did ask a lot in the Q&A, who do we think um, Gavin's you know best mate would be at the fire pit? And I think the answer to both this question like and and uh, the what are they all talking about is Harry Goldenblatt. I think Harry is an incredible linchpin for all social situations. Yes, I agree. I think he can do, I think he can do the business chat, but I think he can also do the sort of like, I'm just a schlubby guy who loves a bagel yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I think, you know, he can like pivot on social cues really well. And I think it's why he's such a fucking rich lawyer. <laughs> Tot- co-signed. Yeah. I think Harry and Gav would love each other. <laughs> Tell me one of your favourite things. One of my my favourite things is the line. It comes a bit later when they're at Smith's film career and they're setting up the Abu Dhabi storyline where um, Smith is introducing Samantha to these um, Arab businessmen. And they say to Samantha, "Uh, have you ever been to the United Arab Emirates? And she goes, no, and I could kick myself. (laughs) Why do you love that so much? It made me laugh so much. I don't know. It was just so camp and so over the top. I was literally in the shower this morning just saying, no, and I could kick myself. 
<laughs> this person, this character, who's clearly never thought of the UAE in their lives. Yeah, and so suddenly. Like, no, and I could kick myself. She's so funny. She's almost not human in this film, that character. No, no. It's like having now watched this movie again with closer eyes, I can't believe there's even a mystery around why Kim Cattrall doesn't want to come back. They abuse her in this film. Yeah. That poor actress. Yeah, she is. She's a. She's like a bot. Like, I remember, isn't that like one of her first scenes is she's talking to two gay guys who are like, who does your work? And she's saying, oh, I'm 100% natural. And then this hot actor walks in and she just looks at the two gay men and says, gentlemen, and raises her eyebrow. And they go, I hear that. And then just wander from like, this is not good. <laughs> this is not, it's not This good. is like, Kim Cattrall did fucking Lee Strasberg Institute level acting. She's like method on your ass. She's not going to be enjoying this film or that scene. She's just, it's like a, it's like a cardboard cutout character. Right? Like, why would, <laughs> why would that person ever come back? I think we've sort of, what we've done as a culture is we've imbued Kim Cattrall with Samantha characteristics in that we think that she, you know, she kind of likes thinks this is all really funny or whatever. But like, I always think the majority of her scenes she does alone with a stranger, mm. right? Mm. Of her doing these ridiculous sex scenes where she has to do these ridiculous orgasms that like are just sound like someone being murdered. Yeah, and like, oh, just imagine. That, particularly that scene at the end of this movie where she drops her condoms in the middle of the oh, souk and God. then people are outraged and then she does this whole like, I have sex <laughs> thing. It's so grotesque mm. and so offensive that you can't imagine that like, she's probably had to like go to dinner parties and like apologize for that to yeah. people. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like that's probably followed her around for years. Like we think that because people are famous and they have money that shame and embarrassment doesn't follow them in the same way. And it does, yeah. you know? Yeah. Oh, I feel so bad for her. But I love that line delivery. <laughs> I could kick myself. I'm going to just drop that into conversation now with you as much as I can. I could kick myself. Because it's... Because the weird thing, the weirdest thing about this film is that it feels like an ad that was paid for by the UAE. Was it? Was in, that? Was that it? When, no, it's not. It, but it, it feels that way when they're when they touch down at the airport. When they talk about like how great the Middle East is, yeah. And there's the four, there's the four Bentleys waiting for them, and then they have the ridiculous, you know, hotel suite that's like a floor, and they all have a private butler. That feels like oh, surely this is like paid for by the tourist board, yeah. right? Or like this that that that's what it feels like. Until then, the the worm turns, and then they become extremely offensive about everything. But um, they were turned down a filming license to film in Abu Dhabi. Like they're like like the UAE is not behind this movie. They never were. So where did they? This was filmed in Morocco. But I don't understand. Like particularly when you think about politically where America was at that <laughs> at that moment in time. Why of all places did, did they decide? Why did they choose it then as a as a precinct? From, from what I've read from Darren Starr, who really does seem to get how deeply he's he misstepped here. Yeah, he was like, 
look, we were in the we were in a really deep recession, and I thought people would like the escapism. Okay, which yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. I remember that being a lot of the bump press wise around that film being promoted. I remember them saying, "This is going to be you know a decadent antidote to the economic crash." Yeah, exactly. They thought that's what people might want. And you know, I could see how they could reason that, and it's not what people wanted. Mm. Although it's still, it's like it was critically very badly received, and rightly so. It still made a lot of money, so I guess they can wipe their tears and shame with that. And the other thing is, is when you were saying that, I was like, where else could they have gone that would have been decadent, but maybe wouldn't have been so ripe for not, you know, just political incorrectness, but like racism and offence. I was like, oh, maybe they could have gone to Venice and they could have, you know, been in a palazzo. But then even saying that, I suddenly just, wherever they, it would have been offensive wherever they weren't. I think taking yeah, those characters yeah. into a foreign country and making it fish out of water, it will always be offensive. What else is on your list of five, five favourite things? I love the Heart of the Desert, Smith's <laughs> film. <laughs> By which I mean, um, I love the relationship between Samantha and Smith. I think it's very fit. Yes. Yeah. I love yeah, that I she... And also, I did really feel this time re-watching it that it is kind of amazing for an audience to think back on Smith's story and think back to that like 27-year-old in a vest top and jeans who she met as a waiter in a restaurant mm. and now he's the most famous man in the world. The length of that story and how far he's come and how far they've come in their relationship just feels deliciously satisfying. It really does because like you do get that sense of because we've now all, we've we all known Smith and we all saw him as the waiter in Raw and it's like, mm. it does feel like he's like that little boy from down the road in a way. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Way, like... Yeah. And I also just love when exes have that energy. Yeah, it's I've hard. always wanted to have it with an ex. I've just never been able to do it. And I don't think I'll ever be able to do it. But that like crackling, sexual, mischievous, we yeah. have deep respect for each other. We could maybe have a no strings attached fuck for the old times, mm. but it would be in a, in, you know, in a shared spirit of, yeah. nostalgia it's just like it's so rare to come across that energy no. do you know any couples no. that have that absolutely not no maybe it's one of those things that writers have made up I think they it have doesn't really exist yeah yeah I, I simply do I cannot I'm racking my brain I can, and I yeah. know some like sexually storied women and I don't know a single one of them who can just like oh thingies roll back into town guess that's the shutters down on my flat for two days you know it's like no yeah it's not it i just find it very hot do you know why i think it's really hot it's just like it shows it shows a sturdiness of ego that's why it's mm, so sexy yeah because it's two people saying no matter how much we felt rejected in the end or what happened we can rise above it because of this connection that we once had and that just shows someone who's really kind of comfortable yeah in their own skin rather than this <laughs> chattering oddball <laughs> My a chattering oddball chattering would never oddball. be able to do that <laughs> you're just like one of those wind up teeth with googly eyes on 
Um, tell me another one of your... Should we say favourite feels a bit overblown? Yeah. One of the bits that didn't make you want to die. <laughs> um, okay. I like how genuinely bad Carrie is at marriage. Because, like, we've talked a little bit before about, like, what happens when you marry the bad guy. What happens when you marry the guy who could never commit. But there's nothing in culture, really, about what happens when you marry the girl who can't commit. Because she's as commitment-phobic as Big is, right? She's the one who couldn't marry Aiden. All this stuff. And, like, she is shit at this. I just can't get over how shit she is at marriage. She can't fucking relax. Like, and and it's, it's so hateable. And you are throwing popcorn at the screen as she's, like coming into her, like, disgusting house that looks like a fucking hotel lobby and, you know, saying to Big, like, oh, you know, you got your feet on the couch and, like, oh, you you don't, you want to eat takeout, you don't want to go out. She's so exhausting. She's terrible. Yeah. But it's, like, also, it tracks, you know? It does track. But I don't think they really delve into her being unreasonable, actually. When you really think about it, Look, you and I like a party. We love the sesh. Mm. But that scene when they've come back from a full weekend wedding yeah. in the Hamptons and he sits down to read the paper and sit on the sofa and she says, where should I make reservations for dinner? Can you think of anything worse than going for a whole weekend away for a wedding with your partner and being around so many other people, probably hung over, and you and Gav getting back to the house dropping the bags and him saying, where shall I make a reservation in Soho tonight? I actually can't think of anything I want less in a couple. It's demented. Imagine. And also, they're like, I know they're a good fire pit gang, but ultimately they're her friends, you know? Yeah. The thing with long-term relationships is if, so, if, if, so, if the other partner has spent time with people who they might love, but who are primarily the other person's friends, you give them a 48-hour window to do whatever the fuck they want. You know what I mean? Definitely. They get Definitely. to do anything. They can cheat on you totally. if they want. <laughs> because they were, <laughs> they were a good relationship show pony in, in front of primarily the people who are your friends. And so they get to do what they yeah. want. And that is the unwritten rule of relationships. But nobody has taught her those rules. I wonder if Miranda ever says to her, like, babe, you've got to drop it with the sparkle. you got, you got to late chill 40s out. now. Yeah. You've got to stop with the sparkle stuff. Get real. So I think it's very appropriate that we bring up Ella Bridger's immortal line today, which is, we brought it up in the first episode and we're going to close it with the last, which is, yeah, she, he will, she will not leave the poor man alone. Yeah. So we yeah. we went for a walk today, me and Ella, and she said, and I love this so much. She said, the thing that annoys me the most about her not leaving the poor man alone is that we all want to be glued to the poor man. We all want to annoy the poor man, but we all learn to leave him alone. Why is she yeah. 39 and she doesn't know how to leave him alone? <laughs> Why is she 46 and she doesn't know how to leave him alone? Why will she never learn to leave him alone the way the rest of us women have learned? Yeah, she's totally bang on. And that's what's so frustrating about it, yeah. Yeah, you can't barnacle them as much as you want to. You can't. And the thing of, like, her bullying him to go to this fucking premiere and then he has a chat with Penelope Cruz and she freaks out. (laughs) 
<laughs> awful stuff. But you but do you think that they interrogate it properly? No. They could. I don't think they do because I kind of am sort of on her side when I watch it as a non-critical viewer just like, yeah, it's just going to be the two of them. They need to have romance. She doesn't want a television in her life night after night. That makes sense. But actually, when you really think about it, it doesn't make any sort of sense. It doesn't feel... It, it almost feels like the writer is on Carrie's side, but the director isn't. Because <laughs> she's making salient <laughs> points, right? Which is like, you know what? It's mm. just going to be us two. We're going to have to work on the sparkle. That ma- that as like a sentiment makes sense. But placing it in the context of her like bullying him into premieres, bullying him into restaurants, just hen pecking him all the time like i would love to see like oh we spent a week doing nothing and i was getting it like to really give it a bit more legitimacy and more context because it's not like here's the thing here's the nugget of gold that's hiding under the fucking 40 feet of shit that is this movie is that's an interesting concept we don't really see movies about couples who have decided to not have children and what annoys me even more is that we don't even see those conversations. I want to see how they arrived at the fact that they're not having children and that's a choice. You yeah. Know? Why, yeah. Why don't we I get to know? I think that's a missing conversation. Yeah, totally. And also, you're so right of like, just just like looking at the underside of the story that we've been told, which is big won't commit, big won't commit, big's terrified of commitment. Looking at the underside of like, well... I think this woman's terrified of commitment. Yeah. How does she get to feel simulated and vital and alive and sexy and romantic and engaged while also being married to someone for a long time? That's really interesting. And I think if they had stayed in New York, there could have probably been an exploration of that. Yeah. You know? I don't know. All right, what's your next thing that you love about this movie that we can't stop bitching about? I'm rapidly running out of bullet points. <laughs> but my next one is the bump in with Aiden. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I think they trailed it, didn't it? Didn't they? I think yeah. it was in the trailer. And I remember thinking, God, this is really exciting. I always felt like there was never enough of a satisfying resolution with Aiden just because you were so invested in him and she had the closest thing to a you know a domestic life Mm. with him that we've ever seen so I you know that one bump in that you that she has in the beginning of series six with him where he says he had a baby that always left me wanting to know more because it's very realistic to me that a man like Aiden with within a you know a few months of breaking up with Carrie would have found the woman he's going to marry that really excited me and then the way that they execute it I think is great and I think the fact that it comes off the back of her having a freak out mm. that she's you know an old married woman and the fact that she'd had a bad review in the New Yorker it it's totally believable and he's probably just like feeling a bit old and feeling a bit like a dad Mm. and feeling you know freaking out about aging and death like all men in their 40s do and I just think it's it's such a believable collision that the two of them would want to intersect with each other in a foreign land to travel back in time to who they used to be when they were young yes I 
Yeah, I think that's like, this is like the remaining good stuff of the movie, right? In terms of what's exciting, what's dramatic, what feels earned, what feels like it comes out of the, of the show that we all watch together. And this, this you're right, the, the review, I'm obsessed with the review. It's so... We've done so many freeze frames on this film. There are so many freeze frame moments. There are so many. Like, the person who worked on the props of this movie worked harder than anybody else. Because totally. the New Yorker review, it sounds exactly like a New Yorker review. It's so shit-eating and smug and so, like, dismissive of her in a way that's so, like, perfectly New Yorker. Um, there's also the, the, the scenes where she's writing in her flat. I hit freeze frame on those two and they're quite satisfying. Um, <laughs> but this thing of, like, what the New Yorker review says, essentially, is like, it's the first big bad review of her career. And I think she's probably gotten negative reviews before, but never from a, of a publication this big and this New York, which is important. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it basically says like, look, this, this woman is very amusing about single life, but it's clear she knows fuck all about marriage. And then for her to then run into her ex... And feel this flurry of excitement. And then to also be feeling insecure about her marital life. And her being like, okay, maybe I'm just someone who loves drama. And who loves making drama. I'm going to go make some more drama. And she gets all dressed up. And she has that weird scene where she very provocatively buys eyeliner. (laughs) (laughs) Eyeliner is something you can only purchase in the UAE, apparently. And... (laughs) And, um... You know, she gets really dolled up and then she's heading out and it's that terrible... And I th- I, We've all been there at some point in our lives where your friends really catch you in the act and you're really hoping to yeah. not run into them. And she's going down yeah. the lift and she tells them what she's doing and she's hoping to just sort of drop that truth bomb and then bolt. And Charlotte, because Charlotte is so judgmental in this film, um, she's like, what? Like, And she won't let it go and she's sort of like, you know, what? Why, why, why are you doing this? And... Kara's like, you know, we, you know, we meet halfway across the world. This means something. And Charlotte's like, no, it doesn't mean anything. And Carrie just like slams open the lift door. And she's like, you, who has been saying for 20 years that everything means something, is telling me this doesn't mean anything. And she's so... It's that thing where someone does the, the fucking 180 like turnaround from wanting to escape a situation to wanting to defend their right to do the terrible thing they're about to do. Yeah, and the energy yeah. is so fierce and claw like an animal, and she's just like, "God, just let me do what I want to do." I just, I love that the whole lift opening scene. I think is great. Yeah, it's really good. And then we hate everything else. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about that agency? Because I actually think that scene with them having the drink is like weirdly quite hot yeah it is hot yeah because it's believable because you feel like you could be in that chat right and there's that thing where his um his wife he and like as you know i don't love john corbett as an actor but he says the thing about his wife kathy where she's like he's like you know she always had one eye on you you know that thing that feels both very true and also building yeah. up the myth of the other person in their head that creates this really sexy energy, you know? Totally. I remember bumping into an ex at a party years ago 
and I was telling some story about home or my family or something. It was like some off the cuff story. I remember actually, it was because my mom owns a sweet shop. My mom mom owns like a Victorian old fashioned sweet shop. And he said like quite loudly in mixed company, he went, oh, should have married you. And I was like, oh, this is a lot. Um, I love that. Why has that not happened to me? <laughs> it's my closest thing to what well, messed up the best thing I ever had. <laughs> oh, that's so. Do you know the closest I've ever had to that is? I remember when I was like in my mid twenties, a bloke who had been horrible to me, but I was still trying to. I was doing the like fake friendship thing sure. with him um, afterwards for a long time. He saw on the tube the new guy that I was dating and recognised him from stalking me and from my pictures. And he went up to him on the tube and was like, I think you're going out with my very dear friend Dolly. (gasps) And he was like, yeah. And he was like, she's a really special woman and she's, you know, make sure you look after her and she's amazing. You don't realise how good you've got it that you're with her and whatever. And then he got off and then, no, no, the reason this is not good is that I then spoke to the... (laughs) spoke to the bloke he came off the tube and was like oh I've just like given a talking to to the boy that you're seeing and I was like fucking hell he told me what he said I spoke to the current boy I was seeing and he was like it was the weirdest five <laughs> minutes of my life <laughs> he was so unimpressed he thought that he was gonna knife him he was not being given any sort of reminder of how amazing I was I think if anything it put it put him off me that I could have dated such a nutter <laughs> Oh no! It didn't work. It didn't work. It made things really, yeah, yeah, yeah. made things really awkward. That's awkward. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I can't believe this didn't come up last week when we were talking about literally our dream of this. I know. I think I've blocked it out because it's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Just a nutter. Have we got any more? bits that we can speak positively on no <laughs> um oh i don't think i have either i quite actually no last thing i will comment on i like the um charlotte and miranda at the bar um and i like kind of miranda sort of really hand-holding charlotte through that whole moment where mm. and i think it's it is actually quite earned and once again in a more interesting and more downbeat film, it could have felt great. Which is that Charlotte is somebody who like pined and longed and tried and struggled and did the paperwork to to, yeah. to get a family and she now feels like she ca- she can't criticize it. Particularly as she also has full-time help and so she feels like she's has no right to complain, but she's also just going mental. And That's very believable. It's very believable. And I would have loved yeah. I've just loved more of that like and I also I really hate that like they can't let go of the glamour stakes for long enough to give us a genuinely stressful scene because like ultimately the scene that's supposed to be like Charlotte struggling with motherhood is her icing 30 cupcakes while wearing vintage Valentino and then she hides for 30 seconds in her pantry and it's just like (laughs) Angela's ashes (laughs) Fred McCourt! <laughs> Jesus Christ! 
One thing I also love, I love the casting of Baby Rose because she looks exactly like those two actors smashed together. Yeah, so true. I agree with you that that scene in the bar where they're talking about motherhood is good. There is one line that I think sadly ruins the whole thing. When they raise their cocktails for women who don't have full-time help. How do they do it? No. And the thing is, is that it's almost a good idea, you know? That's the most it's painful thing about it. Yeah. It's like... They're trying to be self-aware, aren't they? Yeah, they're, exactly. They're trying to be yeah. self-aware. and But they they overplay it just a little too much. Mm. And it's too on the nose and it feels really rotten, you know? Yeah. It's so odd, isn't it? Oof. And it, I hate it because these are such good actresses and they're just directed badly, you know? And I feel like I feel like that take was like the seventh or eighth take where the director was just like, just just give it a bit more. Just give it a bit more. Just give us a little yeah. bit more, you know? And it probably started out quite naturalistic and then went to a weird place. I would just love, I would love an honest opinion from someone on that set of being like, we like we knew at the karaoke scene that something had gone badly wrong. We just didn't know how to fix it. <laughs> you know? Did they know though? Did they know? know? They're saying now that they knew. I don't know if they knew. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think when they were doing that I am woman scene they really thought they were saying something like subtle and nuanced about feminism? <laughs> Also, there's something about that Helen Reddy song that I do like that song, the original, but there's something about the cover of it that's just awful. There's so much bathos in that performance. It's just like so limp. It's such a like slow song. Apparently, someone told me it's because they couldn't get clearance for I'm Every Woman. Right. So they just got another womany song. But it's just so dirgy. It's the way really they see it. dirgy. Yeah, like for, for like considering they're trying to make this iconic moment, they couldn't have picked a less appropriate song. This whole thing of women being silenced and like Carrie's observation that the women wearing the hijab are being silenced mm. and how she's being silenced by the New Yorker. Because they, they put tape across her mouth. Oh my god. I'm, oh god. It's a tough old chew, isn't it? It's a tough chew. All right, can we move on now? Yeah, yeah, you look too sad. I'm I think so you should sad. Pour, your, pour yourself more whiskey. <laughs> we, should, we should move on. All right, just to cap us off on the second movie, I'm going to quickly go through The Clanger is Everything. Yeah. The clanger is everything committed to film. The the hottest man, I think, is Garo, the butler, who she has the intimate connection with. Um, <laughs> and I think the best outfit, my favourite outfit, is when she is peering at the table of Muslim women eating chips as if they are animals. Uh, she, Carrie is wearing... <laughs> This uh, beautiful grey quilted one-shouldered top. It's a it's a quilted grey thing with like yellow embroidery on top of it, but she's wearing like seven things over it, mm. so it can't really breathe. But it's a beautiful top, and which is mm. very annoying as well. Like 
even the good fashion in this movie is just so overstuffed and overdressed overloaded that it yeah. yeah so there yeah. you go what's yours so my man is uh, Nicky Anthony's oh he's really Italian hot, yeah. brother he's so hot had a little google of him earlier um and my outfit, sadly, is the um, repeat outfit. It's the John Galliano newspaper mm, dress that has a second yeah. outing. It's just so fucking good. And she looks amazing in it still. She does. She does look amazing in it. And uh, also, oh, do you know what I hate? Do you know what I feel like I absolutely hate? What? Just for, not for the outfit itself, but for the spirit of it, is at the very, very end she watches a movie with Big and she's wearing like a green ball gown in the house to watch the trailing around after her while Cindy Lauper's True Colors plays. Oh, I hate that that Cindy Lauper song closes it. It's so mm-hmm. bad. So bad. Ugh. All right. Okay, now we're done. Okay, do we have anything else to do? No? Yes? No. No, we're All done. All right. Let's get on to the Q&A. So we've had hundreds of emails. They are so nice. And I fucking love these guys. Like, I just, love I really can't guys. express enough. Like, you know, there, there were over, you know, 300 emails when I last checked that inbox. And literally as we sat down to record, there was more coming in. Uh, obviously, we can't reply to them individually. Um... But I just want to know that I want to. But I know if I started replying, it would end up sucking out my whole week. And I just really can't afford to do that right now. But I just want to say thank you so much to everybody who emailed. I really, I read every single one. I loved them all. Like a couple of them genuinely made me cry. Um, Just, and just thank you really to everyone. (laughs) Thanks to the Academy, you know. (laughs) We've just loved the listeners for this mini series. They've just been like... Creme de la creme people. Yeah. Like dorky, funny, silly, gorgeous people. So thank you. And I think it really is well, because we are both, we're both authors and generally our lives are full of like going to events and things where you meet people who engage with your work. And um, we had, neither of us have had that for the last 18 months, right? Yeah. Yeah. And what, for me, I, I think you'll agree, for me, like interacting with the sentimental listeners and reading that lovely inbox has been a reminder of like, oh, these who are my, who my people are, you know? Yeah, totally. These like nerdy women who have like deep, deep opinions on why exactly Jack Berger has that frog machine. Like, (laughs) I've just, I'm like, oh, like these are the girls I write for, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And also... On a personal level, I've said it to you before, this second lockdown has been by far the hardest for me. And it's been a long old winter. And this has, I honestly think back on post-Christmas, this has been such a lifesaver. Checking in with you every week, watching those silly series and then checking in with you to talk about them. It's been such a lifesaver. So I'm very happy we did this. And me too. And I think, you know, what maybe the listeners won't realise is that obviously we sit down for two to four hours every week to do this. But then during the week, we're 
we're talking about it all the time. We have a Google mm. Doc where, you know, it's so silly, but like, you know, I will write, I will watch a few episodes and I'll jot down my notes. And then maybe the next day you'll watch the same episodes and then you'll jot down your notes. And it's kind of like a live Twitter feed that's just between the yeah. two of us. And it's just been really nice. It's like this beautiful anchor in this really uncertain time. And I've just loved it. And can, um, I, can I give them just one of my favourite lines from you on the dock this week about the second movie okay <laughs> why are they all buying <laughs> bags of spices none of them cook <laughs> they're walking around that market clutching bags of spices Car- like Miranda I can just about believe but why is Carrie buying spices <laughs> for what for who? <laughs> so in order to get the most out of this Q&A, because obviously we can't answer everything, um, I basically, I went through all the questions in the email and I kind of grew, there was a lot of stuff that came up quite a few times. Um, and so I'm just going to put those questions up top and we're going to get through those. And then we're just going to basically randomly select them from the document. <laughs> Um, so here are I'm gonna okay I'm gonna read them out and then you're gonna tell me which one you want to attack first okay okay um people asking what we're doing next and why we're not continuing the podcast people asking what the four girls would make of social media and dating apps and what their personalities would be on those things um, the family lives of the of the four girls, particularly Carrie, because we know that she had an absent dad, but we don't know much else. What episodes in London might look like? What would they visit? What would they wear? What would they observe? How the characters would deal with the pandemic? Who would be Gavin's fire pit friend? <laughs> His fire pit friend would be Harry Goldenblatt. Um, the etymology of loving the sesh. And finally... Quite a few people wanted to know how we became friends. <laughs> oh, that's cute. Let's start with that one. I think it's the cutest one too. It's really cute. I remember exactly what month it was that I met you. Oh, this is very when Harry met Sally already. It was, I oh know, it was July 2016. It was a terrible summer for me. Yeah. And I met you at Daisy Buchanan's flat in Greenwich Mm-hmm. She had a bunch of brilliant women round her house for dinner. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, you can cut it out. We had a gorgeous meal. I think it might be mac and cheese. Then you and I got stoned outside. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And just shrieked oh. with laughter. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I just thought you were fucking great. I just thought you were bloody great. And it was just a lovely summer evening. It was fab. It was uh, just the kind of evening I miss so much of just like lots of lovely, cool women who have been peers for a while, but who haven't necessarily met. And I thought you were class. And then I proceeded to not see you for several years. So this is the interesting bit. This is the bit that Caroline and I still haven't quite got our heads around and will forever haunt us, which is we met that night. We fell in love with each other. I truly thought you were just so funny and smart and sexy and brilliant. 
and and then we if you go back through our Twitter DMs yeah our Twitter DMs arrange, start in like early 2017 I think we arrange and cancel <laughs> dinners lunches and drinks for two years yeah for two years yeah so yeah. we just obviously didn't want to go why um from my perspective uh what happened then was you came out with everything i know about love and that was like a huge deal pretty early on and became really big and you be and like whenever i looked to what you were doing i still felt all that residual fondness for for that dinner that we had but i was like oh that girl is like she's on a mission right now doing something else like i'm probably it's probably too late to like hitch my wagon onto that lady and, did you really um, think sim- that yeah i really did i thought that like oh the window had closed for opportunity on that and i also personally was having a time with my own friendship group where um uh, our friend John had died and mm. he had been sick mm. for a really, really long time and we had all like n- like nursed him basically. And I wasn't really in a place where I was making new friends. Like I was mm. very much bedding down with my core people. Mm. Um, and so you just became this person who I, like, I very much wished well and I saw everything go great for you and went stratospheric for you. And I was happy for you, but I was just like, yeah, she's just a periphery lady I kind of know. Yeah, and we always, the way we stayed close is we just constantly shared each other's work. <laughs> That's yeah. what I remember. You were like the first person that I would um, search your name on the pool to see what you'd written. I loved reading your stuff. That's how I think I retained a sort of strange sense of feeling close to you. And then every every couple of months, one of us would go, oh, mate can't believe it I've double booked or I've lost my diary or I'm on a deadline think we're gonna have to reschedule and no one in the dynamic was gutted (laughs) gutted I went back through those dms the other day and and you said I know I'm gutted because I really suspect we're going to be quite close friends (laughs) it was like November 2017 I've said this to you before and you always sort of bat it away but I want to tell it to the listeners so it will be preserved in truth um, but you had your book launch or everything I know about love and you invited me and it honestly it would not be the kind of thing I would have bothered going to because book launches in general aren't fun um, yeah. if I didn't have like three or four people I knew who were also going and who were like oh do you want to go to Dolly's thing and afterwards we'll all get dinner kind of thing and um, I went and you like the high low was doing great you had this huge launch in the Savoy Hotel it was just the most glamorous book launch I'd ever been to. I hope you don't mind me saying that. Or you hope that it will, it will make you less down to earth. But it was incredibly <laughs> glamorous. <laughs> and I remember seeing you in the middle of the room and you were wearing this beautiful like blue dress that was very I Dream of Jeannie. Um, <laughs> and I, I saw you sort of receiving people. I went up and I chatted to you. And you just were handling it really smoothly. And there was just such a magnetism around you. And I remember because I was a few months away from my own first book coming out. And you hugged me really tightly. And you were like, oh, it'll be you next. And it was like, it was so perfect because it was like, um, you know, the moment with babies and women. And weddings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and weddings. And like, but with it was with career and with creativity and with books. And it felt like really special. And, um... I remember feeling this thing that was like, 
I had been so anxious up to that point that my book was going to like fail or um, I was going to not be this sensation or that maybe I should want to be a sensation, but I wasn't going to be. And this is going to sound really sick of hand and really weird, but I swear it's true. But I looked at you at that launch and I know that you've said to me since that internally you were like a fucking shitting Labrador to old Lang Syne. But but I saw you at that and I was like, oh, that girl has, she has something that I don't have. She has like a spark. She's a star. Like she's obviously a star and she was born a star. And she's got this, she's got like this charisma about her that like is just one in a million. And that's the reason that she is able to make this great stuff happen for her. She's obviously talented, yes, but there's also something about her that's really magnetic. And I was like, the minute I realized that you had this thing, I was I was like, and you know what? I have a little of that, but not as much, and that's okay. And I felt no, really but, like... But I know you're not going to like me batting this way, but the, the thing is that I think the the parable of, of that story, which is, you know, I'm, I'm so deeply moved that that's how you remember that night because but the parable of this story is is that I did not feel an ounce of that that evening that would that was the night that made me realize I never ever wanted to have a wedding and that I am not charismatic enough or (laughs) magnetic enough or or gracious enough to have to have that sort of attention focused on me and it was you know I just I felt really awkward and stressed out and inadequate that whole night. So I think the parable is, I didn't go to your first book launch. I did go to your second book launch. Everyone was thinking that about you and you would never have had a grasp on that. You never, like, that's, that's, that, that's how this works. Like, there's something that's so reassuring to me about having really, really close friends now who do the same job as me in that when I talk to them about how impressive they are and how important their work is and how funny they are and how beautiful they are and the special qualities that they have, they just can't seem to fathom it. There's such a dissonance. And strangely, it makes me feel more confident because it makes me think like, well, if that fucking solid gold broad has no idea of the spell that she can cast in a room and with her work then maybe I've got nothing to worry maybe maybe none of us will ever truly understand how we are seen by others oh I love you I love you (laughs) I feel very when Harry met Sally on the because it is very when Harry met Sally because there was all these moments where we could have been friends and then we didn't oh I feel I think of you as like a very romantic story (laughs) I really do. I feel like I'm so glad we finally fucking got a drink because yes, we could have done that for so long. And and now I just, I don't know how I would function without our friendship, truly, particularly the last two years. Like, yeah, I don't know how it happened eventually, but you were coming down. I live in Southeast. You live in North. Um, You were coming down to meet somebody for dinner near enough where I live. And you were like, oh, listen, I'm going to be here at five o'clock. Are you free today? It was that quick. And uh, I met you for a pint. And we hung out for literally an hour, 90 minutes or something like that. It was a lovely And like, I really didn't want to leave. That's what I remember. It was like I a good know. day. I was so dead. I was like, I can't believe I have to leave her. 
I know it was such a good day that I walked you all the way to the dinner you were going to, yes, which was like two yeah. miles out of the way. And like we bought yeah. fags and we were just like smoking and talking the whole <laughs> way down. And then um, the next day, um, me and this is, uh, I, I hope people are actually interested. Lots of people ask us about the, the friendship element. So I'm hoping they're enjoying this level of detail. <laughs> but the next day, me and Gavin had tickets to a gig the following Saturday night, Friday night. And he had just figured out that he got this huge work pitch and he couldn't go. And he was like, can you take somebody else? And because I just had that fabulous, like, very short evening with you the night before, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to take Dolly Alderton. I'm going to see. She's probably busy, but I'm going to ask her if she wants to go. And then we went to that gig. We had a fucking fantastic time. Didn't get home till like two in the morning or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've like, I think I've talked to you every day since. Yeah. Every day. Oh, isn't that a lovely story? It's maybe so this nice. is maybe the reason why we should share this story is if there is a woman that you admire, but for some reason you feel like, oh, the logistics of it, of a friendship yeah. might not work, or I've already got enough friends, or I, I don't know if I can be asked to make a connection with someone new. Just go for the pint and see. Oh my! And I really want to say this because um, one of my favorite emails that I read while I was going through our inbox was from a wonderful girl. I know if if we were on a professional podcast, I would say, oh, like Catherine from Exeter or whatever. But I can't remember her name. I didn't make any notes as I went through this inbox. Um, But she said, you know, I'm 22. um, I've been listening to this podcast and I I, want to know how you guys became friends because I'm really struggling I feel like I went to school with all these girls. I feel like it's become really disparate now. We're all scattered to the wind. She said, I I hear you guys talking about finding a man for the fire pit. And truthfully, I want to know how to get the women first. And it broke my heart because I relate to that girl so much. Because I came to England when I was 21. I didn't have any friends. And it's amazing to me that I can look around my life now when I'm turning 31 in three weeks time. And I have, like, these women in my life I could not imagine myself without. Like, I would be a different person without these women. And to that girl, I really do just say that, like, just keep keep your eyes and ears open and take just, like, big chances on the women that you find charismatic and cool and, like, just keep going for it. You know, it's so, it's so hard when you have to move to a place and you don't have a sort of a set group of gang friends, you know. But the great thing about that is that you get to choose your friends and you don't get to be like lumbered with this person that you've just known forever or because she was your neighbor or because your parents are friends or whatever. You get to pick women that you find inspiring and creative and cool and compassionate and you you pick them for their traits and you don't pick them for the traits they showed when they were five, you know? And that's that's so great. And, and, you know, that is a real, a really different quality to the friendships that you make in womanhood rather than girlhood. But some of my closest friends are people that I've met in the second half of my 20s and beyond, like you and Pandora. And I think, as you said, there's a real freedom to that, to come to it, to come to it new and to know each other as adults. And then you just get this like delicious, romantic, like exciting unveiling of 
all of your pasts with each other. Yeah. It's like yeah. such a joy to find out about someone's family and about their school life and about all their past loves and all their favorite books and all that, you know, it's, it's like any sort of new relationship that you have in adulthood, like that's a really exciting thing. So don't don't feel like you've that's any sort of failure or any sort of um indicator of the friendships that you're gonna have. I know loads and loads of people who have next to no relationships with the people they were at school or university with and they have like really rich and fulfilling social lives and friendships totally and I will say as well that like as somebody who's like been deeply in monogamy for a long time like falling in love with new friends all the time has been like I don't think I could do monogamy if I wasn't always falling in love with women all the time in like intense deep ways you know yeah so that's that on the friendship. Hope we haven't blown our load too early. <laughs> What's that was the... a bit I've been looking forward to all week, actually. Me too. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, one that jumps out of me from that list that you gave is what episodes in London might look like? What would they be visiting Mm. and what would they be wearing? I think they'd be, they'd go so health leather on like Vivian Westwood and they'd make them look really like they'd be loads of punk references yes. and they'd wear like DMs and they'd probably oh. do that like classic American program over in England thing of like confusing, confusing all the countries and like making them wear kilts. Even though they're in London, just making them wear kilts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and um, there would definitely be, like, a protracted scene in Harrods that would make you immediately Google, did Harrods sponsor this? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, it would be all that area of London. It's so annoying that West London seems to be the landing place for all kind of American depictions of London it's maybe it's just because it's like traditionally prettiest and sort of Mary Poppinsy looking mm. but when you look at the filming locations for Friends loads of it was in like St James they also use Notting Hill a lot Mayfair yeah. so I reckon it would have just been they probably would have just stayed in some really I, super shishi square mile of West London so if if the second movie were set in London and not Abu Dhabi I would love it starting like um you know, they start off in Mayfair and all this stuff. And it's all very she and all very Charlotte, right? 
And then, like, I would love if they ended up on a really, like, catty night out in Catney or something. <laughs> Samantha wakes up in mud shoots and has to exactly. navigate the DLR. Yeah. <laughs> Who would be, like, a great, like, cameo, like, romantic interest in London for Samantha? Robbie Williams. <gasps> oh, my God. Robbie would be so up for the sesh of the Sex and the City movie. Totally. That's such a great call. Okay, so... Okay, oh my god, I'm so into this. So Samantha <laughs> has an off with Robbie Williams, but Robbie Williams in this movie is like an East London DJ. <laughs> yes. Like he's yeah. not called Robbie Williams, but obviously we all know he's Robbie Williams. Yes. And then and then there'd be a nod to 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 Robbie him being Robbie Williams because he would play rock DJ. Yeah, exactly. But it would be like a cool what what Robbie Williams thinks of as a cool sort of like dubstep yeah. remix. Or yes, something. a dubstep remix of rock DJ. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. With I like, oh my God, and there's like a cameo from like Skepta or something. <laughs> <laughs> then I think he would, when they were super pissed on the way back to his flat, they would, um, he'd, he'd get her some like, like scuzzy food. Oh my God. Like Samantha in like a chicken shop, but like being yeah. like really down to earth and like really yeah. getting it. Like, honey, this is delicious. Yeah, I love this. Also, Caroline and I, one of the many things that bonds our souls is that we both love Robbie Williams and will defend him forever because we are both obsessed with overdogs. We are. We are obsessed with overdogs. It's such a specific quality that we share. We just love defending an overdog when the overdog is receiving backlash. Yeah, when an extremely famous person who has all the money in the world and when people are being mean to them, me and Dahlia are the first people who are like, now come on, <laughs> let's all be reasonable here. So it's so not an honourable trait. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, I would love that. Is there anything else they do in London? I feel like Charlotte would have like a real weird experience in Eminem's world. Yes, she'd get she'd get lost in Eminem's world. She'd have a thing with some sort of landed gentry, some aristo. Yes. Yes. I also feel like Carrie will have a repeat of like her butler experience. I was whereas... just about to say the same. She'd right. have an unlikely friendship with like yeah. But with like, do you know what it would be? It would be a busker played by Johnny Flynn. One hundred percent and then maybe and johnny flynn would tell her about like his his lost love in somerset and then she would come and just like drop a 50 and be like go to paddington station and go see jemima (laughs) (laughs) oh god i'm sweating for it i'm I'm actually choking for it oh and also, I would have loved to have seen, like, Miranda's sort of intellectualism in, like, but going to see, like, the crown jewels, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she accidentally bumps into, like, I can imagine an unlikely friendship with Miranda and, like, Simon Sharma or, like, like yes. you know, Mary Beard. Like, some sort of blue stocking academic. Oh, I love the idea of, like, Miranda being a hit in London. <laughs> Because she's like an American, but she's a restrained American, you know? Yeah, they would love her here. Yeah. And then Samantha, it would actually just follow the Abu Dhabi thing, wouldn't it? Samantha would get to a point where she'd be like, 
I want to get the fuck out of this stick up its ass repressed country. <laughs> Charging through Heathrow. Oh, it'd be so good. And there'd be so many great cameos, like a French and Saunders cameo would be so good. But they're like Carrie's book publicist in London or something, you know? Yeah. Oh God, that Jennifer Saunders. Oh my God. <gasps> Imagine Samantha. Like you know, you know, like um, the the raw food scene with Smith, where it's like her yeah. trying to beat out another woman. Exact same scene, but it's Samantha versus Joanna Lumley. Love that. The Ur Samantha. Love that in the Walsley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh. Also, I must that that Jennifer Saunders um cameo in Friends. I think is my favorite sitcom cameo of all time. Oh my god, it's so weird. What is it again? Remind she me. plays Emily's. She plays Emily's mother, who's always yeah. drunk. Yeah, and every so time she picks weird. up her phone, Waltham Interiors. I feel like those two words have just been going round and round in my head since <laughs> since the late nineties. <laughs> Jennifer Saunders, but you're right. It would be a French and Saunders cameo. Yeah, yeah. I think the reason they would be there would be like Carrie having a book tour in London, right? so good i'm actually so getting funny. too upset thinking about this that too it doesn't upset. exist do you know what i'd love as well i'd love if they were there because that they were they were adapting sex in the city into a tv show like sex, the or manhattan or one of her books but it was like a gritty flea bag show where all the characters are depressing yeah i know who would be the exec who she'd have to have all those the, the matthew mcconaughey version steve yeah. coogan oh <gasps> yes yes of her in that bbc building at Portland Place and him just like pacing around the office being weird and depressing. It'd be so, Dolly, it would be so good. It'd be so much better I than know. either of those movies. Why How can't do they we just get it? Just let us write the movies. How, How do we, we tell, tell them? them we should write the reboot and set it in London? I don't know. <laughs> But it's really upsetting me that we're not going to get to do I this. I know. We have to move really on. Bad. I'm, getting too, I'm getting too bummed out. <laughs> okay, we have, to, we have to move on to other questions that won't depress us. Um, okay, this is one I'm really excited about. Um, the family lives of each of the girls. The nuclear family, the families of origin. What do you think? I have a very set script in my mind of what Carrie's family situation is. Tell, tell me. I've never watched the Carrie Diaries. I'm never going to watch the Carrie Diaries. But here's what Carrie's origin story is in my head. So she's from like, I don't know, not Connecticut, not New Jersey, but somewhere like, you know, Pennsylvania-ish, something like that. Yeah. Um, Her dad obviously left them when she was really young. Her mom was a single mom for a while, but then like remarried, I'm going to think, when when Carrie was like in her early teens, like that mm-hmm. just at that point where you kind of aren't really interested in your own home life anymore. And like like four, 13 to 15, where you're spending more time out of the house. She remarries like a nice man and like disappears into like a life of just like, oh yeah, and now like our sort of Gilmore Girls period is over. And now it's, you know, Stanley is here. And it's all very normal. And then she moves to New York when she's like 18 or whatever kind of falls out of contact with her mom a bit. Her mom is completely in the world of this, her stepfather now. Her mom dies when she's like 22 mm. and she just gets on with the rest of her life. Like, I mm. think it's really, it's both that simple and that complicated in my head. Mm. What do you think? 
I have a I have a really similar sense I think of her family life and the absence of her family life to you but I saw it executed in a different way I can't believe we're having this conversation I'm obsessed with us um (laughs) in my head because there is she I think she's so unparented Carrie yeah in my head I think what happened and it's why as well I think she's so obsessed with her female friends that that becomes her her immediate family I think that her mum gets remarried. I think her mum mm. had her really young. I think her mum gets remarried and she loses interest in Carrie. She just wants to start a new life yeah. with this guy. Yeah. So I think Carrie spent a lot of time with her grandma or her aunt. I think she had a fabulous grandma or aunt who basically raised her. Yeah. And then I think when she went to New York, she kind of was like, that's it for me and my mum and now they're completely estranged. Yeah. God, that would be an interesting place to go for the reboot, wouldn't it? Well, like a Carrie homecoming. That completely like yeah. divorces yeah. the Carrie diaries. Although I wonder, I do wonder, the thing is when people are like, why, why is there no, you know, nothing said of Carrie's family? I do, I, I wonder if it, maybe she just had a totally average adjusted nice normal relationship with her mum and potentially a stepdad but the reason they don't include any reference to it is that these are half hour episodes that's like what 24 pages yeah. <laughs> of dialogue every week like this is about not only the like the depth and complexities of their friendships but the depths and complex- complexities of all their respective romantic relationships there just probably wasn't enough room yeah, and also, you don't want to hem characters in either, right? Yeah. Because as soon as you say someone has a brother, then you have to honour that and, like, bring the brother back or whatever. Yeah. Um, I feel like the other family relationships, like, I feel like, Charlotte feels very fleshed out in that, like... Yeah. Even though there's very little said, it's like, yeah, she's got a... She had, she had a pony and she was a teen model for the Ralph Lauren store when it opened in Whitehaven. Which is like, yeah. and she's got a brother called Wesley. That's all you need to know. There's like and the, the other morsel that they drop is, in my family, they believed that there was no mental health issue or problem that couldn't be solved. Um, yes, with physical sports. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> I uh, I I posted a picture on my Instagram this week of me uh, learning to play tennis, and I got lots of women tweeting me that exact quote. <laughs> Which oh really? I'm squarely within my demographic. Um, <laughs> okay, what about the girls and social media and dating apps? In terms of dating apps, I think Samantha would have loved dating apps. I think she would have thrived. I think she would have found them really fun. I think she wouldn't understand why people were so in their head and neurotic about them. I think Charlotte um would have been one of those people who was on dating apps looking for love and continuously felt downbeat about the fact that people were just there for transactional sex i think miranda would have been an interesting character on dating apps because miranda would have been great on messages she mm. would have she would have been very appealing to lots of men, I think, with her witticisms. I think she would have been really quick and open and funny and sexy and charming. And I think she would have found the the disparity between how people are online and how people are in real life. I think that would have been a real head fuck for her. 
And I think uh, Carrie would have shunned them all together uh, mm-hmm. on the rather pathetic basis that she clings on to that she is a Luddite. <laughs> yes, perfect. Perfect, no notes. And as for social media, I've been thinking about this a lot too. Here's what I got. I think Carrie has a Twitter that was set up by Louise from St. Louis. And she never checks it and never does anything with it. But she's verified and she has 555,000 followers. Yes. And and like she has, and she like has a thing set up where like, you know, if, if a... If like a new article goes out, it like auto tweets kind of thing. But she doesn't yeah. engage with it at all. She forgets she has it. People t- people come up to her and say, "I saw your tweet the other day," and she goes, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, she has yeah, no idea definitely. what they're talking about. I think Charlotte is like weirdly big on Facebook. I was about to say absolute regional Facebook mom energy. Right. So she's got a Facebook page and she's got like. I'm going to say 250,000 followers on it who are really <laughs> active. And like, it, she's a really specific thing where it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like being a kosher mom who's also gluten-free or something. It's yes. like something like, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a specificity within a specificity, but people are really into it. She does a bunch of spawn con. It makes like a decent amount of money. And like, it's her thing where she's like, yeah, I have a job. It's this, you know? And um, the kids are getting older and Lily no longer wants to be in the SpawnCon videos. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely perfect. Love that. It's a point of some tension, I think, that Carrie has more followers on Twitter than Charlotte has on Facebook and Charlotte really tries. (laughs) Yeah. Samantha, I think, also has Twitter and she puts out some fucking odd things on there sometimes like I think she'll just like like it'll be like four things that are to do with work and it's like oh Smith Jared's new movie blah 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 here's a link to this Vanity Fair profile here but then it would also be this like weird anti-vaxxing video out of nowhere (laughs) yeah definitely and then occasionally I think she'd have like a few too many martinis at home and like on a Wednesday at 11 o'clock she'd be like ladies Remember this? And it would just be like a random, really grainy link to like the Rolling Stones doing a gig. <laughs> yes, yes. And it also, it'll be like like a vegetable, like a squash she found that looks like a dick and balls. And it'll be like, yeah. look at this. Yeah. It's like properly like crude, badly spelled, loads of spaces in between the words. Loads of spaces, Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. I'm so happy. This is my per- my favorite conversation. Um, and Miranda, I thought a lot about this. Miranda is bang into Reddit. She loves Reddit. She's like she. I feel like Miranda got really into Reddit during Game of Thrones because she wasn't satisfied with the show's you know character journey so she would go on reddit and like talk about like all the behind the scenes stuff and the journeys and then she like got the reddit bug and now she's on reddit about everything and she's like got a weird amount of posts she's big on all the legal reddits because she gives advice for free and everyone's like oh wow thanks miranda again but she also just goes on every reddit ever And I think it's so detrimental to her relationship ultimately that it ends up being like the weekly talking point in her therapy with Steve. Yeah, yeah. She's She's always on Reddit rather than being present with Brady. (laughs) 
Caroline, that was perfect. That's absolutely perfect. You've really nailed that. Thanks. I've been thinking about it. I've been thinking nothing else all week, honestly. (laughs) Other than like Charlotte being resentful that her kosher gluten free Facebook page doesn't have as many likes as Carrie's automated Twitter. And I think Harry shares the only thing he does on Facebook is share all of her updates. Just without comment, just sharing. Without comment, yeah. And then like the occasional time hop to his one other Facebook photo, which is just like Rose's fourth birthday. Love this gal. (laughs) So offline. All the men are offline, crucially. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Which is the only way for men to be, is offline. Well, does Steve, here's a spanner in the works. Does Steve manage Scout social media? Or do you think he's hired someone? No, I think he definitely does hire the Facebook page. He does he does run the Facebook page. And it's like, he'll like put up like grainy JPEGs of like, it's two for Tuesdays and we're playing yeah. jazz all evening. <laughs> and it's and a also, clip art of a cocktail. <laughs> yes! Yeah. And I also think he'd like, freak out and call Miranda where like somebody's messaged or commented on Scout being like um, I was at Scout last weekend and the, the bar manager harassed me actually so and he'd be freaking out calling Miranda I really want to go deep into Scout's TripAdvisor page but I just feel like we could be here all night <laughs> we could be here for a long time and we need to move on okay alright so the pandemic. We hate talking about the pandemic, but how do we think they deal with the pandemic? This also came up a lot in the Q&A questions. Samantha fucks off to Barbados. Yeah, really early on. Really early on, through a loophole that just about lets her do it legally, but it's hugely frowned upon. And everyone who does a Zoom with her in media is like... Have you seen where Samantha Jones is? She keeps trying to cover the background. Oh my god! So and it's oh, it's like it's like um, like Smith's house in Antigua that she's using. Yeah, something like that. Oh, oh my Actually, god! Actually, she wouldn't be covering the background, would she? She would she would be posting on Instagram like another gorgeous day, and it would be her like in a white bikini, whatever. And then she'd start getting she'd start getting shit for it, and she'd just be constantly getting in rows with women on her comments about why she's allowed to be there. Oh my god, completely. And just like her giving like slightly sun damaged to camera um, rants with her glasses on, just being like, so you might not like that some of us can be doing better things with our quarantine. And I think you need to get a handle on yourself, ladies. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I think it would become a male online sidebar story. Yeah. Being like, do you know the media mogul, Samantha Jones, who's been starting debates over on Instagram? And there'd be a box out that's like, Samantha Jones is a New York (laughs) PR woman. She first moved to the city in 1985. She has represented clients such as Smith Jared, and it would would get weirdly overshared on Twitter for someone that no one really knew. I think Carrie goes, like, she gets really into it for a while. Like, she's into it because she loves the metaphors. 
and she, she loves, loves the metaphors yeah she's yeah she's just weak for the whole symbolism of the whole thing and she's like reading lots of appropriate literature like i don't know any she's reading a lot of like victorian novels where people are constantly in their own house you know and uh i feel like she finds a like her and big really enjoy it for a while yeah. And like he's delighted because he doesn't get to go out. He doesn't have to go out or do anything. Yeah. And he's got yeah. his home office and she's got her home office and he's home all day, which she finds weirdly nice. And she like likes to sort of wander into his office. And for like three months, it's great. And then it implodes. Do you know what I think starts the implosion? What? I think she does um, the quarantine diaries with Carrie Bradshaw for Vogue online. Oh, and I think initially people really like it and then it very quickly turns into there's like a think piece about (laughs) like why are we listening to the whimsical ramblings of this woman who lives in a it's it's fine for you that you're isolating with your millionaire husband in your huge flat but what about the rest of us yeah it becomes very schadenfreude and very like yeah bullying and she doesn't and she, know how to handle it. She doesn't know how to handle it and she hates it and she just ha- she stops the series because she's just so humiliated by it. And then she comes to really resent Big for it, I think. Yes. And I think also she is obsessed with like breaking rules and not just breaking them, but like finding really complicated loopholes for why she's breaking them. Like she she won't yeah. be able to just be like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck. I went to, I went shopping or whatever. She'll be like, oh, I, you know, Miranda's in my bubble. Like, yeah. but so is Stanford. But like, she's one of the people who has like way too many people in her bubble. Yeah, definitely. And I think her and Charlotte have a massive row. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it's actually surprised me how many people I know who were like slightly more conservative on the on the kind of social political scale who've been so so strict and so angry and so judgmental about the people who've who've like yeah. bent the rules and actually it's mostly like the people i know who've been bending the rules every which way and normally like the mirandas of this world it's actually the people who like read the new statesman every week and are yeah. super right on left leaning labor voting who've just like been shouting a lot on twitter about masks and how important masks are but have just been also like having a drink with their neighbor (laughs) i think miranda i think miranda Miranda. and steve would have broken the broken the rules yeah definitely and charlotte is like bang into homeschooling she's obsessed with it she's i think she starts a video series about that yes on her kosher gluten page yeah yeah (laughs) i don't want to leave So I feel like I'm back in London with them. I'm now back in, I'm in the pandemic with them and I can't exit. I just want to stay there. (laughs) Oh God. Okay, let's move on. Um, Have we gotten, oh, okay. Now we need to talk about loving the sesh because lots of people who don't speak English as a first language, but who love this podcast don't understand what the fuck we're talking about when we go on about loving the sesh. So loving the sesh is, it must mean the session. You have a it's session a, so together. I actually, I was very surprised how into the phrase loving the sesh and the sesh in general that you were into. Because to me, it's a very Irish phrase. Oh, and is it? 
because like this I mean I think technically like the set like a session is supposed to be when like session musicians play at a pub in Ireland where it's like Caroline ding. loving this little twist you've been sitting that's on what, that a while I mean, maybe I'm wrong but that's where it always goes because like when like yeah when when you're in a bar and they have like a lock-in and there's like people on a fiddle and a barrel and all that's all the, the traditional Irish stuff that we all think of and that actually does happen like that's a session and right. everyone gets really shit-faced because it generally tends to be a kind of a lock-in type of atmosphere and that to me is what a sesh is but like also the spiritualness of the sesh is just like people who are like mm, it's just us and we're gonna get fucked <laughs> do you know what I mean it's yeah. that vibe so I was very it's surprised people- and delighted you being into the sesh it's people who are in it for the long haul. That's what I always yes. think about. They're here yes. for the whole session. They're here for like every part of it. They're here for the crisps that you take to the table and you open up and everyone puts the little pincer into the crit. Like they're they're here for the everyone sharing the rolled fags. They're here for the shots. They're here for, you know, if someone's got a spliff or they've got a line, they're probably there for that. It's someone who's just like in for the whole experience. Yeah, just up for it. Yeah. But like, up for it, but not in like a high velocity way. It's a quite chill no. energy. It's mellow and it's also not self-destructive. It's yes, ju- it's jubilant. Yeah. Oh, it's the best energy there is, loving the sesh. I f- only want to be around people who love the sesh now. My favourite email that I got was from an Australian girl who they were talking about this lovely Australian flat chair who've been listening to the podcast. And they were saying about how they become so obsessed with loving the sesh over the course of this podcast that now everything in their house loves the sesh. So they have like a crooked clothes horse. And they were like, he loves the sesh. I was like, it was one of those moments where I was like, you're my people. You're the people I write to and for, you know? I couldn't agree more. They are the, they are the only people that I want to write books for. Yeah. I love them. I love you girls. Australian girls who've got a clothes horse on the sash. I will die for you. I will lay down my life. <laughs> Caroline, what are you doing at the moment? And why are we not continuing Sentimental in the City? Right. So there, there's been a lot, a lot of messages, which I'm very, um, very gratified to receive. And I'm sure you've had similar of uh, people asking us to do other TV shows Um, lots of people saying you should do girls next lots of people saying lots of complimentary things to the effect of they don't want this podcast miniseries to end and to those people I thank them but also I need you to lay off a little bit (laughs) because it's a lot it's a lot like I know you don't think you're being intense but when like a thousand people message you that in a day it's really intense (laughs) particularly when we started doing this um, because it was locked down, because we had all these extra evenings in, like podcasts are a lot of work, particularly mm. review podcasts where you're watching a lot of material. And, um, you know, you and, and I'll still be doing sentimental garbage. And I really hope that people aren't going to spam me with like one star reviews saying, go back to talking about the TV show we liked because no, they won't. These are the best podcast. <laughs> Totally, and these we know that these are our people. These are seshes. They're gonna yes. be. They're gonna know the deal. They're gonna. Be they're good. here for the whole sesh, even the bits they don't like. Um, but yeah, so I, um, you've just left a really long term 
podcasting relationship and I don't want to trap you into another marriage and also (laughs) you know I don't think I think what I love the most about this podcast is how special and self-contained it's been and it's not this and I've been in a lot of podcasting relationships and things and, and so have you and it's when you're holding your dearest friend to account week after week and being a business partner with them mm. and making mm. sure they show up in a time and a place, it it just becomes less special, you know? And I want to keep this really agree. special. I tell you what I would really enjoy because I've been getting a lot of those messages as well. And it's always people saying, would you do girls next? And Caroline and I both love girls um but i would love just to get a message from someone being like will you do one foot in the grave (laughs) (laughs) will will you do only fools and horses will you do keeping up appearances (laughs) i think we'd be great on that we would (laughs) i'm not like i would love to maybe in a couple of years time when we when we're both having a lull or a moment where we don't have a ton on like to do something again with you because this has been the best ever but I just don't want people to wait for it either you know if we both get up the duff at the same time that could be a <gasps> lovely little mat leave project <laughs> oh my god that would be so great also okay. I'm very aware that will be very annoying to people currently on mat leave having a really stressful <laughs> time to think that you just sit around with a glass of wine and just and just boot out the microphone <laughs> <gasps> okay so uh, uh, under the if we are both pregnant at the same time and Girls is streaming on a major platform, we will come back and do Girls. There we go. That's, there we go. That's a lot of pressure for everyone, but uh, those are those are the terms. <laughs> um, what are you doing? What are you doing next, Caroline? I have a supernatural young adult series called All Our Hidden Gifts that is coming out in May. Um, I can imagine it's not really for the demographic that most of this listenership is, but if you're into sort of witchy stuff, you might like it. And I'm also working on my third adult novel at the moment, which I'm really excited about, but I can't really say much about. What about you? First of all, I just want to say to that, yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) I love Um, it. And... (laughs) Um, I am working on a TV project, mm. which I can't say anything more about. What I will say, though, is that this woman in front of me on the screen is working every bloody hour that God sends at the moment. And the fact that you've still been tuning in for this podcast is a miracle. Honestly, thank you. I love you for saying that. Honestly, it has been the greatest respite. And I do not know what I'm going to do when it's over. I mean, the other thing is as well, I think we mentioned this in the last episode, I, I part, the, what I do when I feel like I'm missing a friend, when I feel bereft, is watch Sex in the City. But I can't ever watch that cunting show again. <laughs> I've watched too much back to back for two months. I can't watch anymore. How do I get comfort now? <laughs> I know. It felt really... Last night, I, I was really bereft. I was like, I don't know what to watch for comfort. And I just ended up reading Adrian Mole books. So I had like... 13 and three quarters I just wanted something familiar that I could yeah. just wrap around me and those bloody women were all dead to me now <laughs> um, shall we get into the more detailed questions 
The first question is, the thing I'm dying to know is what you think the Sex and the City men talk about around the Provencal fire pit. So that is Big, Harry and Steve. You've already mm-hmm. said that you think that Harry is the, the linchpin. linchpin. And I totally agree with that. I think that Big and Steve both love the session, talking about the nostalgia of the sesh. Oh, memories like, I of think they, gone past. Yeah, I think they love that. I think they love that. Yes, cause I think because they're both massive womanizers in their time. So I think they sort of love a bit of like dirty boy talk. Yes. Oh, I yes. never thought of this before, but it's so true. That's exactly what they talk about. And I think Harry does the thing where he does a bit of a like, oh, well, I was always unlucky with women. Like, and he does a bit of like, oh, you know, here's a like a gross story about like me coming in my pants or something. Yes. And Stephen Big love that. And, and like Harry feels great about it because he knows he has the traditionally most hot wife. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I think that, Steve sometimes feels a bit left out when Big and Harry talk about, like, the stock market. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And we've always said as well... On but those, I think Big feels those... left out when they talk about kids. So I think everyone has a moment to feel left out. Yeah. Which is important in a friend group. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> it's the thing that holds it together. Um, I, You and I have also talked about... I can't remember how we got onto this, but we went on a really long riff once about the, the, those group holidays. Mm. And we decided that there would be like a strangely strong bond between Miranda and Big as the only two people who read the news every day. Yes. Yeah. And they'd be they obsessed bo- with like, they'd get down to lunch and be like, have you read Blah Blah's piece about it in the Huffington Post this morning? Yes. Or they're both like news addicts, I think. And they're both like weirdly obsessed with Rachel Maddow or something, you know? They're both like yeah. really into the same person in a big way. And and like Big's like, she's amazing. I don't know what I do without her. <laughs> and Miranda's like, I know, I know, I'm obsessed. Yeah, there's a really weird close bond there as well. I think, yeah. I think also like Miranda loves sitting and watching televised sports with them. Yes, and I also think that um, Big and Harry love Brady in a way that the other girls just don't. <laughs> yeah. Because oh he's God, a real boy. Do you know what I noticed in the film, on the second film on this rewatch, is um, the coffee shop scene where they're all discussing going to Abu Dhabi. Brady's yeah. just on his own at a table in the background. <laughs> what is that about? I know. It's There's so sad. Odd... It made me so sad. There's an odd solitude to Brady Hobbs Brady. <laughs> the There's solitude a... There's... of Brady. There's a melancholy about that young man. And yeah. uh, I'm excited to see more. <laughs> well, we might see it in the reboot. Yes, he'll be like a teenager now, properly, won't he? Yeah, yeah. So Right, you hit us with the next one. One question that we got a few times... What do we think Skipper is up to now? Ooh, I think he's got loads of kids. Do you think? Sturdy, headstrong, slightly older wife who turned his life around mm. and sharpened his ambition and made him move into a nicer apartment and focused him and... I think he liked being a dad and they had like four kids. 
Okay, everything that you just said, I completely co-sign, except I think he's also a massive tech bro and he lives in San Francisco now. Yes, that and I think absolutely he, makes sense. He was like a big, he's like a big person in like a really boring company that you've heard of, like we transfer. <laughs> and he's like a millionaire. Yeah. He's so the biggest honcho at We Transfer. <laughs> and he's always he's always like fucking chewing your ear off because you know how when you send a We Transfer sometimes they have this big like full bleed beautiful image in the background. Yeah, he's always like you know I'm I'm the reason we do that. <laughs> I I think yeah I think he's he spearheaded the editorial platform that we transfer now does yes <laughs> which I hear pay very well yeah they do pay very well apparently and also I think he'd like the UK version of this is that he's so huge at such a random company that like sometimes on a Thursday you're just watching like Miranda and Steve are just watching Newsnight and then Yes, and Skipper is there just talking about like data breaches. We're now going to Alan Skippen, who works at WeTransfer. Thank you, Alan. (laughs) And Miranda would be like, Steve, get in here! I fucked him. I used to fuck him. (laughs) Oh, that was satisfying. He's always like sending Carrie emails about how he wants her to like write a big piece for the WeTransfer editorial thing. And she's always ignoring it because she doesn't understand what it is she's he's constantly trying to call in favors from carrie that's so true and there's like a cut scene where carrie's like miranda do you ever get those emails from skipper is he emailing you again and and in the end carrie just fobs him off to the agent yeah, oh, completely. Skipper, oh my God, amazing to hear from you. Listen, I'm going to CC in Meredith. <laughs> I think of all the offshoots you've ever come up with, this is my favourite. <laughs> Skipper being big at WeTransfer. <laughs> and, and pestering Carrie to write a long read. <laughs> but it's also, it's that weird energy of like, he wants to communicate to Carrie how big a deal it is that he's asking yeah. her because it's actually become very prestigious in the digital world. But she doesn't care about the digital world. So she just doesn't, is not receiving it. And the more she doesn't receive that, the more he pushes it because <laughs> he wants to yeah. impress her because she was like, his, like their friendship was very much like, oh, Carrie's the older babysitter who lives across the road, you know? Yes. And he just and wants I think to impress when her she, so badly. When she sees him at events... She never thinks that Skipper's going to be at like cool media and publishing events. And obviously he always is. <laughs> and when when she sees him, she just immediately has to leave because she's like always oh, going to corner me and start talking about all those, yeah. about the hits and all the, about, you know. I know. And he's also, and whatever. he's so conscious of all the embarrassing things he said to Carrie years ago. And he really wants to like make up for that. He's like, <laughs> yes. remember when I used to say to you that I wanted to go around the place smelling like Miranda? How crazy was that? Carrie lives in his head. Yeah, Tot- yeah completely. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is my favorite episode we've done so far. <laughs> Me too. Um... Okay, another one. 
All right. Oh, I like this one. Someone said, you didn't speak about the fuck buddy in season two. Please discuss. Because Caroline and I were talking about the concept of fuck buddies the other night. I think just as the um, thing of like the ex who you're on reverent and yet sexually charged terms with, who you remain close with is an invention of the writer. I think a fuck buddy is a complete invention of the writer. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Very, very odd. The the thing of the fuck buddy, especially when you are, uh, proper adults. I think it's quite odd. Yeah, I think in your early twenties it kind of makes sense because everyone's keeping their options open, right? But like in your thirties, the idea of a fuck buddy is like, oh, okay. What? First of all, why would you have sex with someone that you didn't get on with, right? That you didn't think was cool and right? Like, but like, that's the that's the floor of the fuck buddy. Is that actually the 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 key word there is the buddy? So it's actually meant to be someone who you like having sex with, but who you also can like, you know, have a sandwich with afterwards, or like <laughs> go have a drink with, or just like watch a film with. But the whole point is like, if you like them enough to hang out with them and you're fucking them, yeah. you're going to want to be in a relationship with them. It's just a made up concept. Yeah, yeah. I know a couple of women who make it work. I have a very close friend who has a like a lovely looking guy who's in her life and he is her friend and they hang out and they go for walks and they go to the pub and every now and then when they're both in the mood they shag and I can't get my head around it. But is this your incredibly elegant yes sexually progressive friend? Yes. She, but she's not a chattering oddball like us. No. She's great. She exists she's so like she's a goddess. We can't. Yeah, she she is a goddess, and I think the important thing about my goddess friend is that she doesn't really like men that much. Yeah, like she kind of sees women as the best things in the world, and they're the people she gets all of her emotional satisfaction from. And she's not really that interested in getting that same thing from men, and so she just kind of sees them as like trinkets for her to play with. Yeah, so she's able to do. It's very, it's very Samantha Jones, but with an earthier, witchier vibe. She has a deep, unshakable knowledge of her own you know goodness and yeah attractiveness and i think the problem like the problem with the fuck buddy set up with anyone who has any self-esteem issues which is most people the fuck buddy thing can only work on the premise of like we're keeping our options open to see if other better people come along and ultimately that's just going to make you feel really really shit whereas i can see her as being someone who finds that easier to to rationalize yeah completely yeah i mean more power to her people are making it work but by and large it's a myth like it's not a thing a normal person can have a normal fallible insecure person can have you have to have this iron self-regard i think yeah and that's why that episode is really good actually because it's just the the dismantling of that lie with carrie and her fuck buddy all right here's a quick one as public media figures, if asked to do the real me catwalk at London Fashion Week, let's say in the same D&G outfit for continuity, would you do it? I think a few years ago I would have loved to have done it. I don't think I'd do it now. I'm so much more self-conscious now about that kind of stuff. How about you? I know what you mean. And there's, um, unfortunately, there's a thing that happens with novelists that I'm becoming increasingly aware of, which is that... um. If people see too much of novelists, they stop believing they can make things up. That's I don't know exactly why that's a it. thing, yeah. but that's a thing. Yeah. You know? 
Um, and it's kind of sad because like it sort of infringes on the that's why we don't have that many novelists who are celebrities you know like if you really think about it it's like Elizabeth Gilbert who I think straddles it really well like she disappears for long periods of time to write books and that kind of thing Um, men are able to do it I think men are able to be celebrities and novelists I don't think we allow women to be them in the same way and still believe they can make things up but they're also they're celebrities in conjunction with their intellect and thoughts. Yeah. So they're, they're not celebrities really in terms of like their love lives. I suppose Martin Amos is, or like their family life or their looks or their mm. favoured or their tastes in things really. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, I would love to do that fashion shoot. I know, me too. Oh, the hair, having that big hair and like having my legs all oiled up. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would love to do it, but I think I think you're right. It's annoying. You do yeah, you do have to make a bit of a choice with these. It's kind of what I was saying in our first episode about how you balance like wanting to be a woman and wanting to enjoy all the spoils of femininity and particularly with, you know, when you're single as well, but also thinking about how that's going to be detrimental to your work potentially. It's a lot to think about because I I agree with you. I think on a technical level, I think it can just really negate an audience's ability to lose themselves in a, in a world that you've made up mm. because, because the image of you and your life hangs over it so heavily. But also, you know, we're just worried we're going to be called dumb bitches all the time. So, yeah. you know, it, it really like weighs heavy on me I don't ever want to like give people more reason to think I'm a dumb bitch which I probably should just not care at all about that stuff we should that the lesson is we should just not really care yeah it's it's a shame, isn't it because like the thing about Carrie doing that fashion show is that like it's very much gonna be yesterday's chip paper in her world do you know what I mean like no one's really yeah. gonna remember that she did it and no one's gonna remember it in like an unfavorable way and it's a very cool thing to do but like I feel like if there were a picture of me like wearing a pair of jeweled knickers with a trench coat on, I would imagine then someone like screen grabbing a tweet of me saying something pretentious and like something they deem to be like faux intellectual and then putting it next to this picture of me. Oh, like, oh, takes herself very seriously, doesn't she? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 unfortunately the world we live in. We live in that Google Images world, you know? That's really sad, actually. It's really sad, but actually, like, when I talk to people about this kind of stuff, I talk in this really fatalistic way of, like, well, that's the world we live in, and I've got to abide by those rules, so I have to, like, not do things or say no to things or be careful of how I present myself because of that. But there is this, like, that's not necessarily true because there is this whole other option, which is something you said to me once, (laughs) which is, have you ever considered not giving a shit about that? Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you could just not give a shit about that and you could just decide that, yeah. that you Samantha don't Samantha Jones and Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. And you said her slightly sun-damaged face and the glasses on and the sort of wobbly self. <laughs> yeah, I'm imagining sort of a slightly oily T-zone, you know? Yeah. And just like roots grown a little out. L- humidity. In no, the bathroom, yeah. in the bathroom in Barbados with quite a strong light on her, I think. So I've been seeing a lot of comments about 
my being in the tropics. <laughs> <laughs> and there are a few things that I would like to say. Oh my God. <gasps> so obsessed with that. It's going to be in my head forever. Um, next question. So somebody pointed out, as I think we pointed out on the previous episode, that um, Miranda's sister is played by the same woman that play, I can't remember her name, who plays um, Hannah Horvath's mother in Girls, which makes Miranda the aunt of Hannah Horvath. <laughs> Very believable. Very believable. And their question was, how did we think that a Girls Sex and the City crossover episode would function? Love this. So Love I think Marnie, Charlotte would take Marnie on at the gallery. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it would be really intense. And Charlotte would get a bit, there would be a bit of a Charlotte seeing herself in Marnie and that kind of hampering her judgment on how good Marnie is at her job. The boundaries would get really blurred. And then um, ultimately she'd have to fire Marnie. <laughs> And I think Marnie, like, maybe went and stayed at their house for a bit. I think it all got really messy. Like, I'm imagining it in the same way I'm imagining um, when Hannah interviews, is it Paddy Lapone? Yes. Like that, but but Hannah doing a profile on Carrie for, like, Vanity (laughs) Fair or something. Yes, that's it. And then, and then it would be like that episode that's so good in the Hamptons where Carrie has that that per- that fan that's following her around. Yeah. And yeah. I think Hannah Hannah would get really attached to Carrie and follow her around and 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 I think Hannah would maybe fuck someone that Carrie knows like a quite old man from from her like her yes. editor at her at her newspaper or something. Oh my god, yes. And it would be so messy and Carrie would have to take her out for coffee and be like I'm going to have to say it tell it to you straight like this is why you have such a disastrous love life. <laughs> and give her a oh, real dressing down. Oh, so good. Because it would, it would be this thing of like, Hannah reading all the cues of Carrie's world wrong. And this thing yeah. of like, the, the, the very Carrie Bradshaw thing of like, oh, when big covers, he never stays outside the line. And then Hannah just being there, being like, so does does he lick your ass? Is she talking about her, her asshole? I had a boyfriend who licked my asshole. <laughs> and it's just like not understanding like the nuances and the sort of sexy perky kind of wordplay thing and just like fucking clattering into every scene it would be so good I would, it, that I would, would be I, yeah I could really see it happening for like comic relief or something all those girls would work for them so I think Jessa would be a PA to Samantha and just like her PA who was really rude on the phone she would just like one day go into Jessa and be like honey I tried I'm sorry, you're not cut out for this business and you're not going to be my assistant anymore. But the good news is, it's time for a martini. (laughs) And then they just go on a massive bender. Yeah. Oh, so good. And they become like best friends, I think. Oh. And then Shoshana would try and overthrow Miranda at her law firm. Why doesn't this exist? I can't believe we're just giving away all this stuff to Michael Patrick King and Darren Starr for free. We're not no. even... We're not even charging. <laughs> we're just giving them this. Okay, next question. We're getting near the end now. 
Where do you think Burger is now? Okay, so mm-hmm. I think that he's one of those journalist men who his after his books kept flopping, I think mm-hmm. he went into he was a freelance journalist and his articles did okay and then he was offered a job that's like vaguely creative mm. at a at a corporation and He's we like, oh, well, it's kind of, but maybe it would be like, what would it be? He's overseeing editorial and they're trying to tap up his contacts for a mm. massive bloated salary. But he oh. still thinks that he's an editor and a journalist. Yes, but it's for like a bank, right? Yeah, yeah, has yeah. like a content sort of stream. Oh, yeah. that's nasty. What do you think? Um, I I don't disagree with you, um, but I also think there's another shade of it in there where I think... I think when, like, Me Too first happened and it's kind of that first era of, like, white straight guys having to sort of publicly prove their, you know, faith and loyalty to women as a whole... (laughs) Um, I think he was very online. I think he had like, you know, did, had like bylines for Vice and stuff. And I think he went really hard into like being a friend to women. Yes. And like, and like maybe like published a brave article about like the women he had wronged and how he now sees the power dynamics and how they were at fault. And I think that he got really mixed reviews for that. Like on the, it was, yeah. like a conver- it was like a conversation starter where like some people were like good on him for owning up to his like foibles, but other people were like, what, we're going to clap this guy just because he owned up to being a prick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He definitely becomes the center of discourse. Yes, yes, he definitely does. And then I think he sort of spins that out for a few years. And then he starts this kind of like, oh, you know what? You can't say anything right because he's been slapped down. He gets slapped down a few times in a row with some online controversies and he never really seems to learn. And he and then he gets, you know, maybe goes on Joe Rogan because he comes like back yes! when Joe Rogan isn't like a big deal. Like, like back when it's just like, guys, hashing it out. And then he slowly becomes like an alt-right figure by degrees. Yes. Yes. To the point where people on Twitter, like, it's like a punchline. They're like, remember when Jack Berger was like one of us? <laughs> you know? This is so good. This track so well. And he'd be one of, he'd do, it would end like years and years in, it would end with him doing videos of himself. But everyone would feel, everyone would still be able to recognize that he's still annoyingly quite good looking. Like, what's that? Paul Joseph Watson he'd be like that and it would be just like videos of him at home in front of a map of the world <laughs> oh my god that's so that's just so shouting shouting about the yeah. left and being and he's always he's always pitching a book about like the the sort of the soft side of incel culture you know about how these boys <laughs> just want to be loved and no one buys it yeah yeah and then he self-publishes, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And he sells it through his newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> this has taken such a... I prefer your... your that's totally it. That's, that's it. it. <laughs> that's it. Right. Okay. You, this question is nothing to do with me and everything to do with you. Bill Kelly is president. 
With Dolly as first lady, obviously. My question, what is his campaign music? Thank you for letting me be myself by Sly and the Family Stone. I think it would be something like soulful and something that he could like dance on stage to. And I think that there would be loads of YouTube montages of him just like Bill Kelly dancing at rallies. Yeah, perfect. No notes. No notes at all. Yeah, absolutely. And it'd be like a kind of flip side Anthony Weiner thing where it's like Anthony Weiner was like secretive about his like weird perversions and yeah. uh and that ruined him but like bill kelly is weirdly open about it because he was outed by carrie bradshaw already yes so yeah. we, so he's very much at the forefront of this listen politicians are people i'm a guy yeah. you're a guy we all like being pissed on you know i think he goes on snl and they throw yeah. a bucket of apple juice on his head yeah absolutely love it Caroline, we have a question from a listener who's confused at what we mean by Miranda's floating necklaces. Yes, there's been a few of these. Miranda's floating necklaces is actually a term I never heard until you had said it, which is when um, the beads of a necklace are on a translucent thread. So it kind of looks as if the, the beads are just settling above the skin. Is that what we mean? That's exactly it. Yeah. Oh, here's a question I loved. If for some reason you could only have one disc from the box set and the rest were destroyed forever, which one would you choose? So a set of four episodes on a loop. I think it would be the midpoint of series four. Yeah. How about you? I think it would be the first disc of series five where it's like Atlantic City. Yes. Boom, boom, boom. What do you think modern day Brady would be like? Does he go to college or has he fucked off to travel and to piss off his mum? I think he's quite cool. Do you think? Yeah, I'm sad that you think that there's a melancholy about him. <laughs> he has a real when Holden I, Caulfield energy about him. When I saw that um, question, I thought, oh, I think Brady's going to be one of those like single child households with parents who both have cool jobs who never lied to them. I think that Miranda and Steve are like really nail parenting in terms of like treating Brady like an adult at all ages. And they really like take him seriously and his interests seriously. And I just see him being like, yeah, well adjusted and cool. And he has a skill for like a random instrument or, or I don't know what it is, but like they've really encouraged it. So he gets to college and he's actually just one of those people that's like quite confident and knows who he is. I think he's like really into graffiti, like goes out graffiti, like yeah. 15, goes out at three in the morning, comes back at six during the summer holidays and like yeah. they, they weirdly respect it. But yeah. I also think, oh God, is it weird? Are we basically saying that Brady Hobbs has big dick energy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think he's just one of those people who's just good. You know, he's like good. He's like, got, got like a Pete Davidson vibe, even though I don't yeah. like Pete Davidson. You know, like he won't end up in therapy, I don't think, Brady. Yeah, yeah. In a way but that also, Lily and Rose definitely will. Oh my God, yeah, my controlling mother and my absent father, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I also think that Miranda is a great mum and they, and they like go to baseball games together and it's like very cool and everyone, every woman who goes out with Brady is like, your mom is cool. But then as soon as they're like going out for any serious amount of time, Miranda becomes mental. 
Yes, I was about to say. I think yeah. definitely. It's very like nobody's good enough for my sweet prince, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think she thinks of them as like buddies. Like, well, you know, yeah. I don't want to lose my baseball buddy. Yes, I think like her and Brady, they really come into their own as a relationship when he hits like 14, 15. Yeah, yeah. And they like, and she sort of like, slight, because she'll be like, what, in her, you know, 50s or whatever. She's kind of slightly winding down her career, kind of kicking it back a bit, kind of letting the junior partners do the thing. And she has like kind of more time and they just become best friends. Yeah. Yeah. And he's so loyal to her. Oh, I love this for Brady because I always thought yeah. that Brady was a bit of a monster. But now I'm like, no, Brady grows up good, I think. I think he grows up good. Yeah, I agree. Oh, you're going to hate the next question. I'm sorry I put included this. Oh, my God. If you God. to assume a star sign for each of the women, what would they be and why? Okay, I can just quickly say it and you can just, you can mute me very quickly. Carrie's a Gemini. Mm-hmm. Charlotte's a Virgo. Miranda's a Taurus. Mm-hmm. Samantha's a Leo. Yeah, that is actually what I was going to say. Oh, even really? though I, even though I actually don't like star signs, I do think that's pretty accurate in terms of what star signs are supposed to be. Can you tell us about the moment you discovered that you both love Sex in the City and the conversation and the excitement that followed? Okay, so I don't think there was one moment. I think when we first started hanging out, we probably we probably revealed that we both watched a lot of Sex and the City and had a lot of views which about at this, it. Which at this point isn't a reveal, I don't think. If, like, you're both women in your 30s and you're like, oh, I love that show, you know? I think what the reveal is is that we had loads and loads of opinions about it. Yeah. And I remember us both being, like, you've really freed me up from my shame about how much I love sex in the city and how many thoughts I have about it. And I think I probably caveated every thought with, I know this is mad that I'm saying this. And then I realized very quickly I was in a safe space. I remember being around your house for dinner. And the thing about me is that I, as we, as we know from this podcast, I cry a lot and I don't really cry at emotional things that are happening in my life. Like I don't really cry when people die but um, I cry at culture a lot. Like, I just cry when something is really good. It's one of my favourite things about you. How how deeply you connect to culture and how much it moves you. And, like, it's you, if you guys think it's bad on the podcast, it's worse in real life. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think, I remember I was sitting at your dinner table and I had my foot on the windowsill and I just started talking about, I think it was something to do with Charlotte, one of Charlotte's many emotional arcs. And I just burst into tears in front of you. And I remember you like slightly looking around and being like, what's happening? (laughs) But then you got like, there was a moment where you were thinking about, is this weird? And then you just kind of gave into it. And then you started crying as well. Yes. I've never been given permission (laughs) to feel that deeply about made up things. You've really like opened that up. Beyond Sex in the City. I feel like you're my friend now who I can bring cultural obsession to yeah and things that move me and, and you'll never think that it's stupid i really respected knowledge forums just feeling the most about things you know yeah. i think it's the hardest quality in anybody me too anyway for research for this question i went into our whatsapp chat and i um <laughs> i searched sex in the city to find our first ever discussion of it which i have here in front of us and i think we should read like a little play 
Very a play. Oh my god. Um, so this is sometime in 2019. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. I'm currently dating a fireman. <laughs> oh, we're delivering this like dialogue when it's things that we typed to each other. And I sometimes, oh, this feels like a lost world, doesn't it? I'm currently dating a fireman and I sometimes ask him to send me photos of the trucks from inside the station. (laughs) I'm so glad that some people are still having sex with firemen, you know. We need to believe that someone is doing that one Sex in the City episode where they go to Staten, brackets, question mark, spelling, question mark, island. God, I love that episode. If you could have sex with any man from the whole show, who would it be? Oh no, this is the Chekhov's gun. Um... Okay, so you're not going to like this, but it's Petrovsky. No. Why? Of the big loves, he is who I would get with. I just want to live that sexy European artist life where I might get slapped, you know? (laughs) This is your gothic side. (laughs) And then suddenly I'm in all exclamation marks. He cooked! He was exciting! And sexy! And weird! Of the casual lays, I would love to have shagged the ADD jazz guy and also I would have enjoyed sex with David Duchovny, who is crazy. How about you? Bon Jovi in the therapist's office for fun. Oh yeah, also the bi guy was nice. (laughs) Yeah, he was cute. I'm really racking my brains for who my number one would be. I can't believe I said this. I would marry Aidan, I think. (laughs) Who are you? I know. And then I said... A surprisingly basic take from you. I am shocked by this. I'm sorry. I thought you would have a hot Smith Jared take. I think of all the mutually career ruining conversations we've had, this potentially could be the most embarrassing for both of us. Wow. I can't believe that we thought this was the peak of how embarrassing our feelings about the show could be. We broadcast them for hours a week. Innocent little girls. I know. And then I said, I think that men don't have star signs. Oh, wow. Call back. They have Sex and the City, Sun and Moon signs. Gavin is a Steve Sun with a Petrovsky moon. He's a cute everyman from Essex who just wants badly to be left alone with his large scale light installations. That was our first conversation about this lovely show. Cute. Aww. Very cute. Right. I think like, I mean, honestly, there are hundreds of questions and we could answer more of them, but... You know, we've been on the line for two hours and we both need to have our dinner. All these people have messaged me over the past past few weeks saying, you know, uh, oh, you you can't stop. This can't be the end. I need more of the two of you. And what I always want to say to them is like, yeah, I get to enjoy the dynamic every day. (laughs) Like, I feel very greedy. It's like, yeah, this isn't going anywhere for me. Like, the conversations are staying broadly the same. Yeah. They really are. Yeah. Now until eternity. I'm just hoarding you to myself and uh, it feels great. Um, and I like I like that we're leaving this before people have a chance to get sick of it. And uh, That's what I love. That's what, what yeah. I really treasure. Yeah. <laughs> I truly, to be very sincere and two whiskeys in at this point, I have had a challenging time over this lockdown and I've been very, very grateful to have you in my life and I've been super grateful to have Sentimental in the City and to watch this program that means so much to us. And irrespective of all its problems and all its flaws, 
has been so important in terms of shaping the women we are. It's been such a joy to, you know, really immerse myself in the whole thing and then get to talk about it with one of my favourite people. So thank you for letting me come on your podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on it. And I just I feel so glad that this show gets to be loved in the way it deserves to be loved with no caveats and no eye rolls and no, you know, yeah, just sincerity, you know, this has been great. This has been Sentimental in the City. I've been Caroling Adonio. You've been Dolly Alderton. And uh, that's it. Bon voyage. <laughs> I've got one more thing that I need to say. What? Cabs are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Cabs are bullshit. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com